Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to episode 26 of my Crisis to Opportunity podcast. This episode is the second of four in which I explore the importance of mindset in how you respond to a crisis. The topic for this episode is Pessimism to Optimism, part two. An optimistic mindset views the world through a lens that is at the opposite end of the continuum from pessimism. Optimism is typically thought of as a disposition or tendency to look on the more favorable side of events or conditions and to expect the most favorable outcome. Also, confidence about the future or the successful outcome of something. Optimism creates possibilities and breeds confidence in your capabilities. It instills in you a belief that what you want can come true. It inspires you and fuels the fire that drives you to give your fullest effort in pursuit of the most positive resolution to the crisis. In sum, optimism helps you shift from a crisis mentality to an opportunity mindset. Being optimistic doesn't mean that you can be Pollyannish, wear rose-colored glasses, or approach a crisis blithely. That optimism, what I call magical optimism, can be detrimental. It can lead you to deny the gravity of the crisis, underestimate its seriousness, and misjudge the challenges it presents to you. The outcome of magical optimism is rarely the fairy tale ending to the crisis that you had imagined. You can be optimistic about your capabilities and the possibilities when a crisis strikes, but you simply can't deny the challenges that you face. To do so would doom you to failure. As such, I encourage you to adopt what I call realistic optimism, which means that you believe in your capabilities, see as successful outcomes as possible, and are willing to do what is necessary to meet the challenges of a crisis. At the same time, you realistically acknowledge the roadblocks that a crisis erects for you and accurately evaluate your chances of having a successful resolution. Realistic optimism is a recipe with two key ingredients. First, a dollop of optimism that creates a positive orientation toward a crisis and gives you hope and confidence. Second, just a smidgen of pessimism to ground the optimism in the reality of the crisis, which gives you added motivation to work hard toward a positive resolution, enables you to moderate your expectations, and prepares you emotionally if the outcome is disappointing. What anchors realistic optimism is the fundamental belief that things will turn out okay in the end, and if they don't, in most cases, we'll still survive. In sum, optimism can create a self-fulfilling prophecy by encouraging us to do what is necessary to achieve our goals related to the crisis. There's a story of the two travelers that illustrates this well. There was a traveler who was walking from a village in the mountains to a village in the valley. As he walked along, he saw a monk working in a field and stopped to talk to him. He asked, I'm on my way to the village in the valley. Can you tell me anything about it? The monk asked where he came from and the traveler told him the village in the mountains. The monk asked what the village was like. The traveler answered, oh, it was awful. No one spoke my language. I had to sleep on a dirt floor in one of the homes. They fed me some sort of yak soup and the weather was so cold. The monk nodded his head. Well then, I think you will find the village in the valley much the same. The traveler grumbled and moved on. A few hours later, a second traveler came by the monk and asked him about the village in the valley here where he was headed. Where did you come from? The monk asked. The village in the mountains, answered the traveler. What was the village like? The monk asked. Oh, it was great. We did not speak the same language, so we'd use hand signals and such. One of the villagers was kind enough to let me sleep on the floor so I could stay warm. The food was hearty, and the weather was like I'd never seen it before, exclaimed the traveler. 
The monk nodded. Then I think you will find the village in the valley much the same. As this story illustrates, optimism creates an entirely different set of thinking, emotions, and reactions compared to pessimism. Optimism makes us feel more confident, which can help us dig in when faced with challenges, and it drives us to persist when the odds seem stacked against us. Optimism can also act as a defense against the anxiety that often comes with the uncertainty of a crisis. And importantly, it can keep our spirits up when our situation appears desperate. There's a large body of research that's demonstrated the immense value of being optimistic. Optimists report less depression and anxiety, have better relationships, are physically healthier, and live longer than pessimists. Importantly, they're more resilient when faced with stress and life's challenges. People who have an optimistic outlook on their lives are able to cope more effectively with a crisis because they don't blame themselves for their misfortune, they view it as temporary, and they expect good things to happen in the future. At the heart of optimism is a very powerful belief. Hope. Why is hope so powerful, you might ask? In a crisis, hope is the wellspring from which all other good things emerge. What is hope? It is the basic belief that good things will happen in the end. Hope is the antithesis of despair, which drives pessimism in several ways. Where despair causes us to dwell in the past, hope directs our gaze to the future. Despair is about opportunities that were lost, while hope is about opportunities to be gained. We feel despair for our lack of agency in our lives, for what we're not capable of doing. We feel hope for our sense of agency, for what we can do. From the civil rights leader Martin Luther King, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. To see the power of hope, close your eyes and imagine the feeling of having no hope. What emotions arise in you? Fear, anxiety, sadness, despair, a decidedly noxious constellation of emotions, to be sure. It can feel as if a dark cloud is hovering over you. That's hopelessness. Now, fill yourself with hope and tell me what emotions emanate through you. Inspiration, happiness, excitement, determination. That dark cloud lifts and the sun shines into your soul. Hope isn't just a pleasant feeling, though. It is empowering and gives us confidence that if we try, then we can succeed. Hope gives us the motivation to pursue possibilities and opportunities. Hope drives us to work hard and persist, even in the face of obstacles, setbacks, and failures. Why? Because believing that something is possible creates energy that can be directed toward achieving it. Even during the darkest times, there is always hope. The trick is finding it and feeling it. So, now that you see the benefits of being an optimist, you want to be one, right? But you might say that you've always been a pessimist and believe that you were born that way. You're not entirely wrong in that there is some evidence that where you lie along the pessimism-optimism continuum is partially determined at birth, because about 25% can be explained by your genes. While you may feel defeated that your pessimism is only partially genetic, another way of looking at this statistic would be through an optimistic lens. If 25% of your pessimism is genetic, then 75% of your mindset is not. In fact, the rest is due to life experiences. Fortunately, if your life experiences can make you a pessimist, that means they can also make you an optimist. Hopefully, pun intended, 
I've convinced you that the value of being an optimist and that you really do have the opportunity to become an optimist. So now, the next question is, what can I do to be more optimistic? The rest of this podcast will cover some strategies that have been found to be effective in increasing optimism. First, keep perspective. Okay, so you've been hit pretty hard by a crisis and that sucks. In this moment, it's difficult to recognize that every life has its ups and downs, its setbacks and its failures. But it's important to remind yourself of this fact so you don't become fixated on the despair of the crisis. One way to do this is to take a step back and place the crisis in the context of your overall life. By creating distance, the situation appears smaller, less overwhelming, and more manageable. In this way, you can see the crisis as a part of your life, not your life in its entirety. From the American politician and writer, Roy T. Bennett, if you want to be happy, do not dwell in the past. Do not worry about the future. Focus on living fully in the present. Second, focus on the specific event. Do your best not to blow the crisis out of proportion. Remind yourself that this crisis is one unfortunate event in an otherwise relatively undramatic and hopefully good life. Instead of being a portent of more bad things to come, recognize that a crisis is an unfortunate event that is statistically unlikely to happen again. Third, take off the weight vest. The great thing about the weight vest that I discussed in the last episode is that you have the power to take it off, regardless of the reason you put it on in the first place. The burden of a pessimistic mindset rests within you. Pessimism is obviously all in your mind. It's in the way you look at yourself and how you view the crisis. Your goal is to take the weight vest off so you will feel unburdened. Newly lightened, you'll be able to throw yourself wholeheartedly into the crisis with no doubt, worry, or hesitation. Instead, you will feel more optimistic and exude commitment, confidence, and courage. How will you feel and perform with that weight vest taken off? Well, light, free, strong, and ready to tackle the crisis head on. Fourth, hang out with optimistic people. At some point in our lives, we've all been around downer people, pessimists. It's one thing to be in the presence of someone who's being negative, but think about consistently being exposed to that mindset by a lot of people. What usually happens? Well, in my experience, I've noticed that their pessimism is contagious and I become more pessimistic myself. Why is that? Because humans are social creatures. By default, this means that we're influenced by those around us and tend to adopt the dominant messages that we receive. Thankfully, if pessimists are infectious, then so are optimists. If you hang out with optimistic people, their messages will be positive and you can't help but feel more optimistic yourself. Therefore, when a crisis strikes, it's important that you identify and seek out optimistic people who will send you positive and hopeful messages. Fifth, find optimism outside yourself. Beyond just hanging out with optimistic people, you can also catch optimism by seeking out stories of others who have experienced and overcome crises in their own lives, whether from books, articles, YouTube videos, TED Talks, or other media. Learning about how others prevailed over a crisis offers you hope and inspiration. So seek out both similar and different crises from your own. In addition to increasing your optimism, exposure to the successes others have also offers practical strategies to help you conquer your own crisis. Sixth, seek out solutions. Pessimists are really good at seeing the problems that a crisis presents to them. 
While it's certainly important to recognize the problems, dwelling on them can take you to a very dark place. Instead, as soon as you identify the problems you must face and the obstacles you must overcome in the crisis, shift your gaze and your attitude toward finding solutions. This optimistic orientation makes it more likely that you'll overcome the challenges of a crisis and you'll feel more positive and less stressed. Seven, look for progress. Pessimists are always really good at looking at the obstacles in their path and seeing how far they have to go to surmount the crisis. Today's crises can be long lasting and such a focus can be daunting and downright discouraging. Instead of focusing on how far you have to go, pay attention to the incremental gains you're making every day toward resolving the crisis. These signs of progress reinforce your efforts, bolster your feelings of hope, and give fuel to a more optimistic view of a decidedly difficult experience. From Albert Einstein, failure is success in progress. Number eight, set yourself up for success. It's easy to feel pessimistic when a crisis strikes and you have no idea how to overcome it. In turn, it's a lot easier to be optimistic when you have your ducks in a row, have a plan, and determine a process for successfully responding to a crisis. As such, you want to establish a clear path forward as quickly as possible when a crisis unfolds. This path should be one that you believe will set you up for a successful resolution of the crisis. Nine, take care of yourself. One thing for sure about a crisis is that it is psychologically and emotionally stressful. The reality is that stress also manifests itself physically and a crisis can take a huge toll on your body. It's extremely difficult to think and feel optimistically when your body is communicating pessimism from feeling worn down, exhausted, or sick. To get your body feeling optimistic, you need to take care of it. Specifically, this means getting enough sleep, eating a healthy diet, going easy on the alcohol, avoiding drugs, and exercising regularly. Admittedly, this can be very difficult when you're experiencing a crisis. In times of stress, we often prefer to curl up in front of the TV and eat a pint of ice cream, or whatever your vice of choice is. To resist these urges, you should schedule healthy living into your day by developing, for example, an exercise routine, preparing meals at home, and practicing good sleep hygiene. In addition, you should enlist the support of family and friends to help you pull out of the funk that you will inevitably feel as you confront a crisis. Number 10, challenge your pessimism. When a crisis strikes, it's easy to get sucked into the black hole of pessimism. There is some perverse comfort in wallowing in the pain that a crisis delivers. That said, becoming a victim of your pessimism feels bad and is decidedly counterproductive. Instead, when you begin to go to the dark side of a crisis, challenge your pessimism. Ask yourself whether your thoughts are realistic or helpful in terms of reaching your goals. Remind yourself that such negativity does you no good. Then identify alternatives to your pessimistic thinking that are both optimistic and realistic. For example, instead of dwelling on the problems presented by the crisis that are usually outside of your control, highlight what you can control and begin to formulate a plan. From Leonardo da Vinci, one can have no smaller or greater mastery than mastery of oneself. Lastly, feel gratitude. One of the most robust findings in the study of happiness and well-being is that thinking about and expressing gratitude makes people happier. It's certainly difficult to feel gratitude when you feel there is little to be grateful for, which is often how a crisis leaves us. 
Yet, if you broaden your focus outside of the crisis, you will likely find much to be thankful for, such as the people who support you or their activities that give you a respite from the crisis. Taking a few moments to feel and express gratitude internally or to others on a daily basis is a practical way to free yourself from the clutches of pessimism. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thanks for listening to episode 26 of my Crisis to Opportunity podcast. And be on the lookout for episode 27 in the near future.